0: The sermon text is Romans 8 verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it.
1: Let's pray together. This slight momentary affliction, this slight momentary affliction is working for us in eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For well, the things that are seen are temporary, and the things that are unseen are eternal. Lord, put a rock of hope under the feet of this congregation, I pray, so that when the winds of pain and suffering and groaning and decay blow, we will not lose our footing. Use these six magnificent statements of hope in this text to sink our roots down in and around the granite truth of your promises so that our leaves will not wither in the drought which is coming for everyone in this room sooner or later. So, God, please, awaken the hearts to receive a word of hope from your heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, you may remember that I argued that verses 18 to 25 are a support for your hope... In the face of the suffering that you are required to go through, according to verse 17. Let's read verse 17. If you're children of God, then you are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if you suffer with him, in order that you might be glorified with him. And I said that the sum of the argument in verses 18 to 25, underneath that hope, or suffering that you're called to go through in verse 17, the sum of the argument is this. It's worth it. It's worth it. That's the summary of verses 18 to 25. There are six statements of hope. I mentioned them last week, and then I didn't talk about them. Instead, I did something odd... I said, I believe there's another side to this text that is intended to also support your hope by putting a sober and fearful rock under your hope. Now, that's an odd way to talk. I know it is. A fearful rock under your hope. But I really believe with all my heart, and I believe it because it's here in this text, that the realism, the absolutely credible realism of this text is a help to us, not a hurt. And the realism is God has subjected the creation, including our bodies, to futility Which means that all the miseries that you see in the world are a bloody declaration of God's attitude towards sin. And that when you suffer, you don't have to feel picked on or singled out. Because everybody's going to suffer. Everybody, according to verse 23, is going to groan. Now, that was last week, and I believe it helps us to hope, because if, if we had to believe that becoming a child of God means you are now free from suffering, we would have to become colossal hypocrites to be Christians. That was last week. Now, today we turn to the six statements of hope. In verses 18 to 25. And they are designed to help you suffer. Without losing hope. That's what they're for. Now before I take them one at a time. I need to clarify something. Because I've been asked this question at least three times in the last two weeks. The question is. Now Pastor John, when you talk about suffering, do you mean the persecution that people go through because they're Christians? Or do you mean all kinds of suffering from disease and Satan and persecution When you read verse 17, if we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him, what do you mean by the suffering that is expected of everybody and that we must walk through in order to get to glory? So here's my answer. I mean, when I speak of suffering in this passage of Scripture from verse 17 on to the end of the chapter, I mean all suffering. That you must walk through on the road to heaven and that you endure by trusting in Jesus. I grant that in verse 17, Paul has in mind sufferings that come to us because we're Christian. What I deny is that that's all he has in mind. And there are two reasons for why I believe he has more than that in mind. Number one. When you follow the train of thought out of verse 17 into the ground clause of verse 18 on down clause by clause to verse 23, what you see is he moves without a break into a broader understanding of suffering than just persecution. Verse 18 says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing well I'll tell you the sufferings of this present time from the fall to the consummation are not just persecution there are many kinds of sufferings in this present time and then you keep following the train of thought down and you get to verse 20 one two three, And it's clear that the suffering he has in mind is coming from the futility of creation. It's coming from unredeemed bodies. That's clearest in verse 23. Even we who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, who might think we would escape suffering, even we groan inwardly, waiting our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. That's more than persecution. That's everything that befalls the body. We groan, we wait, we say, how long, how long, Oh Lord? That's reason number one. The flow of thought from verse 17 on down, without any big break to say, now I'm talking about something else, is all about global suffering of all kinds. The second reason that I think verse 17 at root means more than persecution, though including Persecution is that at the root of all suffering, whether it comes from hostile people, hateful Satan, or harmful nature, I think those are the three sources of our pain, right? People causes pain, Satan causes pain, nature, whether it's a virus or a flood, at root, The problem with all three is the same. Namely, will they cause us to stop trusting our sovereign good God? Will any of those three kinds of suffering make us say, if that's the way you treat your children, I am out of here? That's the root problem with suffering. Doesn't matter where it comes from. Come from people, come from nature, come from Satan, doesn't matter. The question is, is God good? And in and through it all, does he have a design for my good? Are we ever going to get to verse 28? Verse 28 is just lurking. Paul's holding it back. He's just holding it back. It's like these big stallion waiting to get free. Let me out there. Let me tell him what it's all about. God works All things together for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Both persecution and nature and hostile people. Everything gets worked together for the children of God who love him and are called according to his purpose. So my answer to the question is, yes, I do mean all suffering that you must walk through on your road to heaven and that you Endure by trusting and holding fast to Jesus Christ when everything around you gives way. The comfort, therefore, in these verses 18 to 25 is not that God has nothing to do with hostile people, hateful Satan, and harmful nature, but that in and through all of them he has a good Design for his children. And that's the point of the words in verse 21. He subjected creation to futility in hope. There's a design in the futility. A hope-filled design. And if you will receive him... Remember the promise from John one twelve. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. So if you will receive Christ, you will be adopted into God's family. And then the words in hope become yours. So that's what I want to talk about now. For believers, I want to put a rock under your feet. I want to strengthen you. For unbelievers, I want to lure you. I want to attract you and draw you in because you don't have any hope of this kind without Christ. And just so you know what's in my pastoral mind here, I'm getting you ready to die. I'm getting you ready to suffer. And I'm getting you ready to know what I'm thinking when I come to your hospital room. So that I don't have to preach. And I can just hug you. I love being a pastor of a church for 22 years. Because I can put a rock under your feet over and over again. And oh, how many testimonies I have heard over the years of thank you for the rock. Thank you for... Preparing me for the wind that has blasted against my family. I love those testimonies. And I am now, this morning, to all you healthy young people who think you're never going to die and never going to get sick. I am getting you ready to suffer and die without quitting on Jesus. That you'll hold fast and you won't give up on Him. And you'll have categories to understand what's happening to you. ...without thinking He's turned on you. Number one, there's six of them. Six magnificent promises. What I'll do, there's one for each verse. And I will state the promise in my own words... ...and then I'll read the verse... ...and then say a word about it. Here's the first one. comes from verse 18. God promises that after this time of suffering we will see an all-satisfying beauty and greatness. Let me read it. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, I take the term glory here to mean overwhelming, all-satisfying beauty and greatness. That's my definition of glory here. A glory is going to be revealed to us. Overwhelming, all-satisfying beauty and greatness. And then I take the words, will be revealed, to mean you'll see it. So here's the first promise. When this age of suffering is over, this lifetime of pain is over, you will see an overwhelming, all-satisfying beauty and greatness. Now, that is not all that our hope is, but let's stay here for a minute and see whether or not that matters. Ask yourself this question. Do I not find much of the pleasures of my life by seeing Beauty and greatness. Why else do people go to movies and museums and world-class sporting events and art galleries and concerts and the Boundary Waters and the Grand Canyon and the Rockies and the ocean? And sunrises. People actually get up to see them. Or stay up to see meteor showers. Why? Why is it written there? Because God put it there. You are designed to see glory. And to be much satisfied by it. And all these things that I've mentioned plus a hundred more are simply reflections Echoes, pointers to another glory. The heavens are telling the, tell me, not their own glory. It's cloudy now outside, isn't it? It wasn't cloudy at 4.30 this morning. It was dark at 4.30 this morning. Let's say 6.30. The sun was shining at 6.30 this morning. Well, behind those clouds out there, and it will shine again, there is a glory And it is not about itself, nor is anything that you like to see about itself. It's all pointing away from itself to the one who will be revealed in this text. Here's promise number two. God promises that the children of God will be revealed with glory of their own. Verse 19. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, isn't this interesting? Verse 18 said something's going to be revealed to us. And now verse 19 says we're going to be revealed. What does that mean? The revealing of the sons of God. What's that? Well, think of it this way. Right now, the children of God, you might think, the Titans, right sons of the living God, don't look very hot. We get hungry, we get tired, we get crabby, we get sick, we age, and we die. On the way to the grave, by the grace of God, we do make a little headway in overcoming our lust, greed, selfishness, pride, but not very much. If you think you've made big headway toward what you ought to be, you don't know yourself Or what you ought to be. We don't make a lot of headway. we got to make headway. There's got to be evidence we're children. But I'm 56 now. And when I was 26, I hoped for a lot more at 56. I did. I hoped for a lot more. I have a much more sober assessment of the possibilities of sanctification than I once did. And I don't base that just on myself, because that's not a good test, but on you, too. Some younger and some older. I'm not impressed with the Church of Jesus Christ. Or with the world. I'm impressed with Jesus. So when it says the sons of God are going to be revealed someday. I think I know what this means. It says Jesus said. Matthew 13, then. Then. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Look around this room and imagine this. Imagine what this is going to be like. You turn to that person near you. They look so ordinary. They look just like everybody else in the world. And one day, they are going to shine with such brightness, you will have to put your handkerchief in front of your face. Unless... You have new eyes. That's going to be good. We will be able to look right into the sun, I believe, namely each other's face, and get from one another a joy of our reflection of our great light that it will never, ever end. But if we had to look at one another now, the way we will appear then, we would be blinded. It's going to be really bright. Or, as Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Or look at verse 21 right here in our text. to Just to see what the content of verse 19 really is. Verse 21 says, the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. And here it is. Into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. If you were to ask me, what's going to be revealed in verse 19? What will be revealed when it says the sons of God will be revealed? That's the answer. Verse 21, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So now let's take verse 18 and 19 and put them together and see the content totally. Verse 18 says something is going to be revealed to you of a unspeakable glory. That's verse 18. Something will be revealed to you. And then verse 19 says, you won't just see it. You will be so changed that you will be glorified to savor it as you ought. You'll see it, verse 18. You'll savor it with your glorified body. Verse 19. You're going to be revealed in a way that takes away every hindrance to joy. And don't miss something else here in verse 19. All creation, it says, all creation is waiting for this. Not odd. It's, it's standing on tiptoe. Oceans and mountains and giant squid and horses and wild donkeys and goats and clouds and planets are on their tiptoes saying, when will the children be revealed? Which means we were not created for the universe. The universe is created for us. It will be drawn in to participate in our glory. And that has an implication I'll get to in a minute. All of God's created universe has fallen into futility with one exception. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Among all the fallen beings and creatures, only one has the moral and physical capacity to consciously worship God. Namely, human beings. This means that as all creation is on its tiptoe saying, reveal them, reveal them, reveal them. What it's really saying is... Come on, God. Come on, creation. Let's rise to the thing for which we were made, namely the conscious worship of God. The stars, the ocean, the mountains, the plains, the animals, they can't consciously worship God. They will worship, and the way they will worship is by being used by human beings to make much of God. And then they will come into their own. And so they cry and wait. Oh, come on, bring the suns out. Let the suns rise in glory. Show us the true reason for the creation of the universe, namely the conscious worship of God by human beings with the use of the new heavens and the new earth as our instruments. Promise number three. God promises that his ultimate design in the decree of futility is hope for his children. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. This should have an effect on us of making us tremblingly, soberly hopeful. I say tremblingly, Soberly, because it says God subjected the world to futility, and that should frighten us. You're gonna die. You're gonna get very sick. Or have a terrible accident. In an accident just outside our house. We always have accidents outside our house. It's a terrible intersection. Crack! We were on the telephone. I said, whoa, I've got to go out there. You call 911. And I go out there. Fortunately, nobody hurt this time. We have seen some pretty bad accidents. And you're going to have one. That's, That's the trembling part. But notice the design. Notice the design, which Satan doesn't have, Adam didn't have, only God has. He subjected it to futility in hope. So whenever you feel overwhelmed by your own suffering or the sufferings of the world as you look at it on television, always say there's a design in this. This is not the final point of the universe. There's a design in this in hope. And then let yourself be drawn into the kingdom where the children experience the full measure of the inheritance. There's a design in it. Number four, promise number four. God promises that all creation, not just the children of God, will be freed from misery of futility and corruption and groaning. Verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Back up with me two weeks. Do you remember that when we were dealing with verse 17, I said... All right, Christian, you got two massive inheritances coming. One, the world. The other, God himself. And then you remember I said, but if, if I have to be left with this mind, these eyes, these ears, this heart, these emotions, that inheritance will receive a perfectly pitiful response. Remember me saying that? I'm going to turn it right around from this verse this verse 21 is saying the children have such a glory such transformed eyes and transformed ears and transformed emotions they are capable now of such staggeringly huge pleasures we got to get the inheritance changed the world If it were to be presented to us now, the way it is, it wouldn't be enough for us. Our eyes can can see so much more. Our ears can hear so much more. Our emotions can embrace so much more. We've got to get it glorified. And that's what this verse is saying. The whole creation will be set free. So if you think inheriting this world would be pretty good, you don't know the half of it. This world will be set free from all of its bondage to decay and dissolution and disorder. And it will be a new heavens and a new earth. And then we, with our new eyes, our new ears, our new hands, our new taste buds, will be able to enjoy it and its greatness and our greatness will come together to, to, I choose my words carefully, to produce an almost Infinite joy. I say almost infinite because we will never be God. Which is why, by the way, we need eternity to enjoy Him. Because it will get better and better and better forever. Put your head back on. But we will never be God. We will just always be improvable. Which as a 10-year-old kid, I wish I had known. Because I thought heaven was going to be colossally boring. (laughs) And now I see that it's always going to get better. It will never be same old, same old, same old, same old. Praise, 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 praise. The same old thing. There will be ever new songs, ever new sights of God, ever new dimensions of our inheritance. And our capacities, this is what glorified means, will be ever increasing in their ability to embrace all that God is for us in Christ. Number uh, five. God promises that the miseries of the universe are not the throes of death, but the labor pains of childbirth. Do you see that in verse 22? For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. This is just another way of saying he subjected the creation to futility in hope. There's going to be a baby. Namely, the kingdom of God can be born through this labor pain of misery in this world. Think of it this way. If you're in the hospital and across the hall is a woman and you can hear groans and sometimes shrieks. Now, it makes all the difference in the world to how you feel about that, whether you're on the maternity ward or the oncology unit. You know that word? Cancer. Makes all the difference in the world if you know you're on the maternity ward or on the cancer unit. This text says... You're on the maternity ward on planet Earth. If you trust him. All things work together for good. All pain is labor pain. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now hear this most radical way of saying it. This text is in the Bible to lure people into being children of God through faith in Christ and to strengthen the children of God by saying to them all pain is labor pain not death throes even The death throes are labor pains. Did you hear that? That's why this verse is in the Bible. This verse is in the Bible to say to everyone here, when your turn comes, and I prayed with one of our young women whose father might not live out the day, down at Abbott, after first service, and we prayed about this, You know, the reason this is here is so that she could go down there this afternoon and put her arm around her gasping dad and say, he's a Christian and he knows this, but he needs to be reminded, daddy, it's birth pains. It's birth pains. It's birth pains. You gotta give him a different category. This is not God having turned on you. This is God delivering. I've seen boys delivered. It's not a pretty sight. But it's so good. So I just want to turn your world upside down so that when you get there, you'll have some categories for your pain. Different than what the devil wants you to have. Last one, quickly. Number six. From verse 23, God promises that our bodies will be redeemed from all groaning. will be redeemed from all groaning. Verse 23, and not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit and you think we well goodness, we don't have to go through this right wrong. Even we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption. Yes, you've been adopted already, Christian. Yes, yes, I know this, and so does Paul. But you have not come into the full experience of your adoption yet. And so that's what he's talking about. We eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Oh, Paul loves this truth. Paul sings over this truth. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You shall not all sleep, but you shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, and we shall be changed For this mortal must put on immortality, and this perishable must put on the imperishable. For when this mortal puts on immortality, and this perishable puts on the imperishable, then will come to pass that which was spoken. Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Paul sings over this truth. And we should sing over This truth. So Christian, know this, know this. In this hope, these six promises, you have been saved. But who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, the text says, with perseverance. And I'm going to add, we wait for it with groaning and with perseverance, and with, God willing, invincible joy. That's the word to the Christians. Know this about yourself. Now, to those in the room who are not yet believing, as many as received him, To them He gave power to become the children of God. You don't have to sit there saying, Oh my, this must be very complicated to get inside these promises and have them be my inheritance. What are all the ten things that I must do? Oh, this must be complicated. I'm sure that's what keeps many people away. Can I just please tell you it isn't complicated? It's a miracle. And like most miracles, they're simple. It would mean right now that because of what you've just heard, the, the eyes of your hearts would be opening and you would simply see Christ as worthy of your trust. And you would say, I embrace that. I receive that. I take that for my own. He's worthy. I need that. That fits my worldview now because he has so blown the lid off of my life. This is not complicated. This is like breathing. Inhale, Jesus. I think at the heart of it all is seeing him and being so changed that when we see him, we're satisfied. Won't you stand for prayer? And now, Lord, I plead with you that hope would be born in the hearts of your people. Hope would be grounded in the hearts of your people. Hope would be sustained in the hearts of your people, especially for those here who are suffering most. May we feel rising from inside by the power of the Holy Spirit, birth pangs, birth pangs, not death spasms. Oh God, root these people young and old. In the promises of your grace. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.